This evening's Dharma talk is titled, what's it titled? Subject, Object, Confusion. Subject, Object, Confusion. Well, that shows up in so many different ways. Uh, the first uh, confusion is the, the belief, uninspected, the assumption, uh, unexamined, uh, conviction that there's a subject. There's someone who is looking at observing uh, through the six sense fields all of the objects. And we have kind of an assumption, even when we're very small, that we're actually seeing something else. We're seeing an object. And the way the consciousness works is to, um, because it's definitely risen, because it's not a separate situation, it is in concert uh, with the entire situation where there's kind of a conductor uh, aspect where we're trying to get some of this, but we don't want any of that. So there is a confusion around that because we impute, believe, think, assume that there is something else. And that the other one is that we have some say so about whether we can, we're going to get that or keep that away as if there is some subjective reference happening there. It's not that there's some of that, of course, just the separations that we have with uh, uh, between the sense of smell and the sense of seeing separation, but still consciousness. And the separation that we have with our bodies, I'm over here, you're over there. And that reifies the, the uh, objective dynamic that, that contributes to the confusion because, not because there isn't some, it's just that we go too far with it needs to be a little bit. When we begin to see uh, this as the Yogacara teaching, Vijnanavada is that everything, if understood as it is, is perception only, as long as there is uh, perceiving going on through any of the six sense fields. The one that seems to be the most separative is sight, because it's obvious everything is over there. Whereas with sound, a little bit more intimate. We're not sure where that's at and we hear it inside of our head, and we, of course, taste. Uh, you can't taste something that's off in the distance. Although if somebody fixes food that looks really good, you start to salivate a little bit, and uh, maybe your imagination gets to work uh, a little over time or your memory of how that tastes. And the memory of taste uh, is very interesting. Sometimes uh, I mention examples, and other people will have these too, where you have a dream about something it tasted or something it smelled or something it felt a certain way. It's intense. The reality of it is incredibly an object. We, we feel that that's happening. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in a nightmare. We wouldn't be terrified. We'd go, the ghost isn't real. And uh, how about you guys? Do you, do, did you have a question? Did you hold up your pencil? Oh. How am I doing? so the idea is to is to see to view to allow that confusion to come and this is what we do as meditators you all know this you've been sitting on your uh, cushion and observing what happens if you sit and do that with some stillness not highly maintained but observed stillness which means that you're going to see some movement Uh, it's always through the contrast and you will eventually begin to see, you will be introduced to, you'll introduce yourself to 
the very nature of confusion, which is objectifying this and subjectifying uh, that or objectifying that and subjectifying this, confusion about that. What happens is uh, is that there's something going on like there is a separation, but we, because of our desire, as the Buddha said, for things to be different, that tends to be uh, confusion, confusing and doesn't seem like it's we're getting our way or things are going in the direction that we would like. So the way we work with this, the way I teach it, and there's other ways, there's other teachers, um, uh, much greater than, much more erudite, knowledgeable than I am. Uh, on the other hand, I might be on your wavelength, your frequency. If I am, then you can listen and you could uh, apply this uh, understanding. It is about being aware of it. It's not about getting into a jhana state, any of them. Uh, it's not that you might not need to go that way. I don't know that. I mean, if you were to come to me and say, I think I want to study with a Theravada monk. I don't know. I don't know. I would not. If you came to me with some conviction, I have to do this. I wouldn't argue with you. I would respect your apparent clarity and your apparent confusion. Because even my idea about you being confused is still a projection. That's why it's so difficult. Because you cannot conclude. If you conclude, this is ignorance. This is a, this is conclusion. Even if it's based on Absolute, concrete, hard science. Fire is hot. Do you have any proof? Right now, do you know if fire is hot right now? Or is it a memory? Nothing lasts. It, even uh, as uh, uh, Ani said, water's not wet. <laughs> Wasn't he the one that said that? Yeah. I don't really believe him. I think it's wet. So the variability there is so powerful. And this is why the self-centered mind, the ego mind, the imputed me, me, me feeling that wants to win, doesn't want to lose, wants to look good, doesn't want to walk into the zendo without a raksu. Do you think I did that deliberately? No. <laughs> it was uh, an oversight. <laughs> I just kind of went with what you guys said. I'm good. <laughs> and then... You didn't come in. When you come in and said, we're ready for you to come in, you didn't say, have you got your rocks or what? It's your fault. <laughs> and this confusion shows up a little bit differently for every person. So that's why I say, I often say, I'm saying now, I wouldn't compare notes too much. Even though it's Sangha, and yes, you can hang out together, but it might be better to uh, talk about something else rather than strictly on how you're working with your mind and how uh, sitting practice is going for you. I would, I would pull back from saying too much about that. That doesn't mean that if somebody says, how are you doing? You shouldn't say, well, I'm doing okay. And if somebody says, which they may, being a sangha, they may say, how's your sitting practice going? And then you could give it a some kind of a description. But, but be careful. When I say be careful, uh, at the same time I say this, you can really do, it, do whatever you want. You might need to do something other than what I say. But the way it looks is, to, I would be careful about saying too much about what's happening uh, with someone who is working very hard to see what's happening to them. Because there's a confusion about subject and object, and that confusion isn't, isn't going to show up as I'm confused about subject and object. It's going to show up as, I think somebody else is right and I'm wrong, or I think I'm right and somebody else is wrong. You're going to go to right and wrong. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm not predicting the future. But it's likely that that will happen. So I would say, whatever happens in your mind, 
how many times have I said this in different ways? When you sit down, hold still and watch, you are going to be introduced. Maybe not in the first 10 minutes, maybe not in the first 10 days, um, maybe not in the first 10 years, but more than likely in the first few weeks, few months, you'll start to see the way in which you keep agreeing with some things and objecting with other things. That's the nature of confusion. And of course, that from the self-centered ego mind to the mind that wants conclusions and, and wants to include some things and, and, and uh, get rid of other things, uh, that tends to work. You'll actually have proof in your environment that certain things work. Philosophers do this all the time. Psychologists, psychologists do it. But it's interesting that to go in, uh, what is it, uh, Wikipedia, there's like, uh, when I first started looking at that, I think it was 70 different different uh, therapies. I think it's up to 150 or 60 now. Different things that will, different ways that you can uh, solve your dilemma of being a human being. Lots of sex therapy in there too. No, I'm not going to comment further on that. I'm just saying that, that people, and, and it's not that there are people there who aren't sincere about it. They might have kind of stumbled into something and found, whoa, this particular way of working with the mind is, or this particular way of working with the consciousness or the problems or the issues of the marriage or whatever. Those protocols are somewhat workable maybe, but they're all temporary and they will not help you face the, the, the big mystery, which is what happens at death? Everything comes to an end. Uh, if you if you believe in time and space, then you're headed for it. You notice how I'm grinning? Because the reason I'm grinning is it's not real. It's not real. And that's why it's a cosmic joke. So the confusion, the confusion about a subject object, the, the confusion about the that area doesn't need to be solved. You don't need to solve it. You don't need to even see that that everything's perception only. Because if you see that everything is perception only, that's a conclusion. <clears throat> and that's an actual accepting that everything is perception only. And this is addressed in the 30 verses. Also, Bandu back in the what fourth, third century um, saw that and included in his, in his uh, verses. What is it, the 27th or 28th verse? Where it says that just thinking that, just thinking that everything is perception only uh, is still... Uh, still grasping at, at some situation, objectifying it. Uh, perception only is just this. And even that would be extra. So to observe what that is, it will, because it's not separate from the, what's that other word for the, the Alay Vijnana from the get-go? Yeah. Display of me, 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 and my stuff. If you go down into that, you actually can realize this. You can understand this. You can see that you've always known it. You've always realized it. You've been, for some uh, combination of causes and conditions, you've been fighting with the very thing you're looking for. Questions? Shut up. You brought up how you recommend that we don't um, have Dharma gossip. And that brought up a couple other things that you said from your own practice. You don't have us do like noble silence and things like that. I don't. Um, as students, are we able to see that same thing for ourselves without just having to take your word for it? No, don't take my word for anything. So may we have to do some of those things that you advise us not to do to see why? You could, you might. But I would rather that come out of your awareness about it rather than some kind of a, a making me wrong. I mean, everyone's different. The example I just uh, heard recently is uh, just like everyone has a different tolerance for 
sunshine. Uh, if I go out in the sun uh, in a shorts, bathing suit or something like that, I can't stay out there very long. I turn into a bit fried. I mean, my skin can't take that. Um, the other example is uh, some people can uh, eat in a very, what's commonly thought of as a very unhealthy way and be fine. Two people can eat exactly the same thing. One person is, gets very, very heavy and one person's thin. And some people get diabetes and some people don't. It just, it, it's just, it, we're all human beings, as far as I can tell. But everybody is so very different. This is why over 30 some years of watching this, talking to people about their meditation practice, watching the way, not particularly correcting anybody, but watching the way different people using contrast, which I talk about often, the way some people are more likely to buy into and use and use their thought patterns and their constructs to avoid who they are. And other people are more likely to uh, not do that, are likely to be open in that area. That's just two ways of talking about it. So the reason I teach in the way I do is to make it as strong a form where I'm not, where we're not really meddling with someone but make it as strong a form as they, we can with without once they get into the form without trying to get somebody to follow their breath or trying to get somebody to uh, create jhana states or, or get somebody to be more peaceful or more of this or more of that, to scan their body or do a bunch of just sit down, hold the body very still, watch what moves. And as the way I talk about it, you will begin to see the way in which you make your post-meditation miserable. It may not happen immediately. You may have some work to do. Just in my situation with my health, just to touch on it briefly, uh, if I find uh, if I find something that actually works, uh, so where I become more healthy, uh, that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, I have uh, 25, 30 years of doing the opposite, being a diabetic and actually fueling the diabetes by following the uh, recommendations instead of just don't do anything but sit here, just eliminate everything. And that doesn't that doesn't mean uh, go the other direction and be be some kind of a, of a uh, go to the other extreme. In other words, you do do something in that area and do and you're you're invited to do it in this situation. Come in, sit down, use this environment, and to sit down and hold still and use these forms. These forms are not to be believed or disbelieved, or, but forms are very important. Without forms that you can observe, not obey, not forms that you observe. There are teachers all over the place that look just like this, only probably cuter, who are telling you this and that and do this, do it this way and just do this and do that. And I'm not saying any results that that make them, you know, want to join their deal and be with them. But I would, you know, as Atisha said in about the 12th century, of the two, keep the principle witness. Only you really know. Only you really, really know deeply. But you may have to spend some time looking at your assumptions, uh, uh, accumulated uh, beliefs in what is true and what's not true. We have to look at that for a while so and allow that to collapse. Go ahead. Is it possible for a teacher to hand down experience or understanding? A little bit. A lot, and there again, it's similar to the, some people get some perms, some people don't. Some people can eat all kinds of carbs, not gain any weight. Other people reads the label on the package and they start to, Put on pounds. So everyone is so different. But I would say if, uh, you know, anybody that's sitting in this room, perhaps somebody on 
uh, out in the uh, whatever that is that we're using to communicate. Um, some, there might maybe some kind of a vibration or frequency where you where what I say uh, resonates with something you understand or your way, uh, maybe not you understand, but the way you can see that you don't understand. I, I think it's uh, it varies. If, if any of you seen the um, the what is the, the monks in uh, ancient China or not ancient China, but recent day China, where there's a, a documentary, very good documentary where a fellow goes in up in the mountains and in uh, amongst white clouds, amongst white clouds, you know, documentary of someone in the last probably ten years went to interview uh, hermits up in the mountains, and so uh, get a chance to see that. I think be good but it's interesting the way uh the, one of the monks have been up there for many many years uh, talked about having a connection i don't know what the chinese word for that but you have a connection with someone and so you meet someone who seems to have some more understanding that you do than you do uh, then you know you may have found a teacher so in some cases i think the the, the frequency is really strong and uh, and then other cases, maybe not so strong. Here again, we're right back to the, you know, some people get sunburned easy, some people don't. Have uh, what we call uh, not free and not well-favored. They're the prisoner of their ideas, their convictions, their beliefs, or their fears. And they're not well-favored in that they, they don't have, a, you know, they could walk in here and, and listen to this talk and just, which people have done, and just walk back out. Not because I'm so wonderful, or I have this uh, wonderful truth that I'm trying to share with everybody. You do this yourself. I'll help you. The, the Buddha can't do it for you. Uh, I can't do it for you. Um, Trungpa Rinpoche can't do it for you. Even though some of that is encouraged, especially in the Tibetan uh, tradition, this mind-to-mind uh, -mind transmission, because it's like he said when, when he was uh, confronted with a question, very, <laughs> uh, saying, uh, well, you know, you say, I have to paraphrase it, I don't remember how it went, but... Uh, so you say, Rinpoche, we have to do this ourselves, but yet we have this uh, the, the teacher, the guru. So what is that? And I, his way of saying it, again, paraphrasing, but it's pretty close. He says, you need to someone have someone watch you do it. So, And what does this show? This shows an incredibly uh, powerful understanding of the nature of, of uh, consciousness as human beings and how it needs to be done. So it's like, he that is he's not actually saying that he's saying it in such a way that you will understand it not in the way that it is because of the way that it is you can't say it there's no way there are no words everyone and you're totally not separate from anything at the same time there isn't even time that if there's time then that would still be there was there anything created or destroyed find out find out who you are find out who you are so there's no doubt and how it will feel to have no doubt won't be won't feel like you're sure of yourself. There isn't anyone to be sure of himself. Not separate. The, the way to understand that or see that is through perception only. Use your senses. Use your mind. Use your coffee cup. Or tea cup, of course. Use on. What does having no doubt feel like? It feels like not having to know anything. Not having to have anything. Not needing anything. It's called uh, dispassion. It's desirelessness in the midst of desire. It's not that you don't want things or not want other things. It's that there's no person there to deal with that. So you're still in the relative situation. There's still trees, there's still ducks, there's still parakeets. 
probably not around here. What was that? <laughs> Showed up. So in that situation, can there still be intense grasping? Absolutely. The idea of getting rid of this and getting more of that, getting less grasping and more, yeah, the grasping could might get it might get stronger. That's why it's so difficult to do this with uh, the thinking process and the mind to think your way into some kind of clarity or some kind of understanding. The, the kind of, uh, to use a word I don't use too often, but it might fit here, the kind of surrendering that is going to have to happen is to see that there's nothing to surrender. There never was a surrenderer. There isn't anyone that can do anything about this. You're pretty much uh, screwed. So don't run away from it. Stay with Stay with that. Stay with that. How do you do that? As far as I can see, sit down, hold still, look at the wall. Nothing nothing occurs. And if you're having uh, success and happiness, then have that. If you're having uh, misery and failure, then have that. Don't, don't, don't disagree with anything. Don't agree with anything. And certainly don't look away from it. These are the three poisons. Your questions? Giozan. If we're already in right and wrong, is it too late to see subject and object? I don't think so. You, you might need to ha do that. You might need to just douse yourself in that. You may need to go into that. This doesn't mean act out and go and break windows out of buildings or, you know, murder people or something. Or even, uh, you know, I'm just going to lose my temper and see how that feels. Don't, don't necessarily have, don't have it be a planned experiment. But it could be somewhat experimental and experiential as you notice through, through, uh, um, uh, through the vasanas or through habit energy that the way you, when this arises, you'll begin to notice that you tend to react a certain way to that kind of habit energy or that kind of negativity. And you could uh, change gears slightly there. You could move it just slightly the other way. You could let a little bit more steam escape when usually, that's when you usually clamp down on things. Especially if the motivation is to be more aware rather than to control. If you're trying to control your anger, your temper, your sadness, your misery, the downside of sadness is so sad. The upside of sadness is that's how it tends to feel as we progress on the path. It can feel sad. So as long as there's someone, then the sadness has got you by the short hairs. But but when you see there isn't anyone, you don't care if you're sad or not, because the whole world is incredibly sad. Even Trungpa Rinpoche even used that as a uh, teaching, uh, a phrase he said, uh, referred to as the heart of genuine sadness. Nothing to solve. No one to save, no one to be saved. Shut up. Seems like traditionally it's talked about with the habit energies need to like burn out steam or something like in, to that effect. And I just noticed in my own practice that the habit energies never really lose fuel or steam. They might just change from a drug to a drink to food to relationships. Like it never loses that same impetus. So does it need to back off? Doesn't sound like it. How, however you're feeling right this moment, there's nothing to correct. I don't care how bad it is, how terrible it is, and there's nothing to do about it. But as a meditator, if you're listening to this person and you're in this room and this is your practice, tell me what it is. When I say let, I don't even mean that. I say do nothing at all. Don't even let it be what it is. If you do nothing with it at all, it won't last because the very nature of dependent origination is to change into something else. But if we if we add to it some kind of insistence or some kind of 
lid or some kind of control or some kind of or comment, just the slightest commentary tends to give it, uh, turn it into what zombie thoughts. You've said, or uh, sometimes say that uh, what brought you into this practice was intense anger. Yes. And that that anger hasn't gone anywhere. But is, um, is the realization of, of habit energy, you said you may notice that your habit energy might be less. Can meditation diminish our habit energy? It might. Uh, if you, um, like uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, I always like to repeat his uh, quote. He said, you may not attain enlightenment, but you'll stop being such a nuisance to everyone. And including to yourself, sit down. And, and that may diminish, but what, what tends to happen is you're not so concerned with results anymore. You're not so concerned with getting somewhere, getting to be somebody else. You're more and more of a willingness to, more and more of a willingness to just be who you are, be genuine. If you feel, if you feel sad, you feel miserable, you feel good, just allow the emotions to do whatever they, whatever happens. There's no really, there's no real emotor. There's no, there's no being who is making that. So this is all coming from causes and conditions from the beginningless time, which means way before this lifetime that those we're not separate from anyone. It isn't so like there's someone who's going through different lifetimes, which sometimes is a, a situation the way it's described. It's like that, but it's not that. It's not that discreet. It's like you're going to have another lifetime, and you're going to have another lifetime. Uh, as Trungpa Rinpoche once said, uh, you know, when he was responding to someone's question about his holiness, 16th Karmapa, uh, uh, well, this right after he had uh, uh, passed away in uh, 1981, his, well, his holiness is his holiness going to come back? Is, will it be that same person said, no, uh, something to the fact that uh, you're, you could pass and your uh, spirit of your consciousness and his holiness spirit of consciousness could come together and you could be the next karma. So it's a very, very interesting uh, way to describe it. That is, in one way is kind of helpful, but another way it doesn't really answer that question. It just puts us more in a, in a, in a situation of doing what? Wanting to investigate it for ourselves. What is he saying? How, why do we, why would he use a relative terms in such a way and say it uh, just with so much confidence that you could be the next that's you can't say that unless you understand no self uh, deeply. You have to understand no self to be able to use the word self and other uh, in a way that does not uh, create further um, delusion. Big kind by ho wake up. That was his mother. Yeah. Shut up. Just looking at the energy that seemed to show up for me um, in just this really intense, like grasping outward, reaching motion. And the only thing that really seems to change is maybe the vehicle that travels down that road. So how is that impermanent if the motion never seems to change? I, I think that what I'm understanding you to say is that you have a misunderstanding of impermanence. You think that something is there, it's going to disappear. So the imputation there is that you think something's there. I'm not saying it's something isn't here. It, it, it has a relative presence, of course. That's but, but what we're looking at is uh, genuine presence, which is doesn't have a, 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 a there's no proof. 
of that. So does impermanence not actually apply to anything? Ultimately, no. It's we have to have we have to start with something. So we start with how things appear. It looks like things are coming and going. Things are birth, uh, being born and dying. We use the twelve links in the chain of existence to go through and see how we move, and we establish some kind of a beingness that's going through life and grasping at this and rejecting. Ultimate situation is nothing happens. So what makes it seem like I have a particular type of energy that sticks to me? I think it comes. You know, we might. There might be some sp other way of talking about it. Were you and I talking privately? Maybe uh, not that I'm thinking of something now. I'm saying it's just it's just passion, aggression. It's just just desire, wanting things to be different than they are. If you're happy right now, well, you're happy. If you're sad right now, you're sad. If you're miserable, if you're no matter how you're feeling, don't correct it, and don't necessarily express it. When I say necessarily, I'm just saying put a lid on it. But you could look at it. You could, and if you're doing a lot of sitting meditation, if you're sitting down and getting to know yourself on a deep level, then probably the things that are happening in your everyday post-meditation, as it's sometimes called, are going to show up more spacious, not more comfortable. They may not be more comfortable. They may, may be more challenging from the point of view of our self-centeredness, yes. Earlier you said that intense grasping can still be there with dispassion. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the same thing as wanting things to be different. Mm -hmm. So do we always just want things to be different? Not necessarily. Take me down into it. Make it make it difficult. Not for, for you, but for me. You, you, hear, you know what I'm saying? You could ask me about that. Why am I saying it that way? Why are you saying it that way? I didn't mean that literally. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do, because in order to find out the way in which you could understand this, I need to see the way in which you don't understand it. And then I will uh, I will address that aspect of your awareness, your consciousness. Other people may connect with that. Uh, you may connect with that, or you may not, or I may misunderstand who I'm talking to. So if you ask me about that, you're already headed there that way. And quite often I'll say that when someone asks the question, I'll say, keep going. Because I can sense something about the way you're asking that that's uh, using concepts. We can only go so far. This needs to be done by yourself on the cushion, by yourself, uh, uh, putting uh, butter on your toast or whatever. It needs to be your uh, life, your post-meditation, your meditation practice. I'm here to encourage you to keep going. But if you can show me structurally the way in which you're misunderstanding and show me through concepts, which is what language is, then I may be, may be, it's like you're inviting me to come down into that part. So it's not something you can think up particularly. Go ahead. What is the desire for wanting things to be different that keeps us from seeing how things really are? The desire not to be exposed as someone. As long as you want something, then there's someone. But what's, hap what's happening is the confusion, like the title of the, the confusion between subject and object. So in order to cover up that there's no object or no subject, we intensify the object of the desire. But if you don't want anything, then the subject, because it needs to have an object you know, to reify, substantiate its, uh, its existence. Like Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. Did you read that? Hmm. That's because they're not separate from him. Go ahead. You often say that it's not about getting rid of anything. It is not. Anything. 
So how can we not desire to have objects? You see that you desire them. If you see that you desire them, if you if you try to keep changing yourself into something else, we just get we just put polish on the ego. You know, have a higher, more developed, more spiritual, more kind, more loving horse manure. No disrespect for the horses. It's just it's just crap. You know, it's just it might show up in some way and might present some kind of a some kind of validation somewhere that but it keeps the damn uh, uh, tornado going, keeps the merry-go-round, keeps this uh, the cyclotron, it keeps the, the tilt-a-whirl around and around and around. Success and failure, success and failure. I'm feeling really good. It's really working really well. Now it really feels like crap. What did I do wrong? What am I immediately looking for a self that's doing something wrong? Go ahead. Does being genuine have anything to do with the content that arises? It has to do with the space in which the content arises. And the space, once it's seen, we see that it is not separate from the content. But you have to see the space first. You have to see emptiness first, the actual relative emptiness. And then you see that the very thing that's arising in the space is also empty. And then at some point, or points, or maybe no point at all, you see that that which is seeing is not separate from what, what is being seen. And you it's not a conclusion, though. You just see it. So you don't conclude that. And no matter what it changes into, it doesn't it doesn't change your unconditional confidence in what this is. You're so confident that you don't that praise and blame, success and failure, life and death mean nothing to you. I'm not saying you don't notice that you're dying. I'm not saying that you don't notice that, but it's like you don't mind. It's just something else is happening. Trees grow, sun shines, birds fly, dogs die, milk gets spilled all over the place. Why did you spill your milk? Remember being that's when you become an existentialist. There's milk. <laughs> and I know, apparently I'm supposed to know why I did that. You can't say what what would be totally appreciated uh, rather than have you knocked across the room. You can't say gravity. <laughs> of course, you might not have had the stepfather I had. Any more questions? We have plenty of time. Jessica? Um, I, I've heard you say that our minds stack things up to create the sense of time. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. um, is it grasping that does that? Yes, we want things to be different than they are. And that's just, just a simple way of saying it because the personalized feeling is we actually want this particular thing to go away and this particular thing to come be more more of the happy, pleasurable, uplifted, life is wonderful feeling and less of the, this is terrible, I don't know what I'm going to do, I feel miserable, uh, everything's going into the proverbial uh, can. So, and we, we don't want that, but the, the path to liberation is about receiving everything that is happening. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to give everything your attention in equal measure. And it's not something you can measure out. We practice doing that by facing a wall. That's where we practice. And, and I'm not saying that facing a wall for two or three years is going to be enough. There are other teachings that teachers say you don't have to practice. Uh, all you have to do is chant nam myoho renge kyo I'm not disagreeing with that. Maybe you do. It doesn't look like that, but maybe some people, like I said, some people get sunburned easy. 
some people will, might get enlightened or something by chanting uh or, or uh, venerating the Buddha and just saying the Buddha did it for us. So we don't have to do anything. We have to meditate. We just know that we're already awake. Yes. How does grasping create a sense of time? Because of the, the contrast or the, the polarity between the, the grasper and what is grasped. So we're here and we want something else. So we actually reify the spaciousness of I and other, of subject and object, uh, the basic confusion of subject and object. And, and the, the relative situation, the relative world is totally happy to, to meet you where you're at in that separation and reinforce it with everything else, including nation states and weapons and, and uh, Kellogg's cornflakes. Everything else that is polarized and separate and else, something else, something else. So in order to realize this, uh, you come to a state like uh, Coben when he translated the Heart Sutra, which I've said over and over again, because I just think it's an incredible translation of, um, of uh, falling apart, falling apart, nothing to do, everything all at once. There isn't anything to do about anything. And then someone can come along and say, well, you have to do something. How about climate change? How about... I'm not denying all of that, of course, but I'm saying you might want to find out about your own uh, misunderstanding, your own internal warfare and aggression, intense aggression that's here. First look at that and be responsible. The ability to respond to that doesn't mean fixing it. It means just be aware of it. If you're aware of it, then it will do whatever it needs to do. You can even say to heal just like a lot of the medications we put on top of ourselves in order to heal or just addressing symptoms. It's rare for a medication to actually solve the issue. Yes. Does intense self-love keep us from helping people? Yeah. Being totally enamored of ourselves may not feel good, but just clinging to that idea of ourselves that, that we need to come first. We need to be the one who, who is important or the one who, who knows things. Everything is a self-reference. Anything is, everything that happens is about us, including the emotion that comes up rather than seeing that the emotion, whatever you are feeling right now, right this moment, belongs to no one. There is no one feeling. There is no solid being feeling that. You hear that? There's nothing solid. I'm not saying there isn't something happening, but it's not a person. You begin to see that you're if you really see that deeply you're liberated in the midst of the confusion confusion doesn't need to go anywhere it's unreal even the one who sees that is unreal so what is real find out you wouldn't believe me if i told you as if i could tell you william murray from grand rapids asks does the ego still desire or want to accomplish even following realization yes Really, it's, it's unreal. <laughs> and it may show up, it may not. But since you've since you've understood what that was, now it it, it can show up, and you may feel this way or that way. But you, but nothing is. There's no stability there. Uh, there never was, but uh, there was something kind of stabilized called fixation, just to fixate. Um, maybe you've had the experience of somebody does something to hurt you or harm you or offend you or insult you. And, uh, and then they realize it 
and it really did hurt you. You're really not feeling very good about it. But then they kind of realize it and they come back immediately and say, oh, I'm really sorry. I just realized what I did. You don't really want to let them off the hook. You you want to, you, you kind of like that feeling of having somebody who mistreated you. So you don't really want to just immediately see, just drop it, say, not a problem, I understand. And actually mean that. Instead, there's this kind of, you mean that they're going to, they're not going to do that and stay away from that long enough so that I can really feel, you may not do anything, but you kind of want to have that feeling. Ego. Self-love. If you, if you, the negative emotions that come up, if you indulge in those uh, by, by some kind of validating your feelings, your emotions or something like that, uh, this is, uh, this is just the opposite of compassion. Go ahead. How can I work with that self-love if even putting other people before myself just feeds that same tendency? All you have to do is look at it. Just watch it feeding the same tendency and keep helping me out. It's been helping me out. But do it the way I want you to. You really are going to make me build all those towers. <laughs> no. no. It's a Marpa and Milarepa. No. But I'm letting you off easy. You're going to have to do it just a couple of times. Further questions? We have four minutes. Have anything, Jason? Yes, Robert. You mentioned the concept dispassionate. How does that relate to disassociation? So dispassionate or dissociation may be actually ignoring the dissociate. And I'm not saying all the time because that word's used in different ways. But dispassion means that there is no one who is fueling or objecting to uh, agreeing or ignoring the passion. The passion is dependently risen, no longer belongs to a person. Uh, you, as a conduit for your 1,522 billion lives that you've lived, I probably am underestimating, but you're no longer, you're no longer going to shirk your responsibility for, for all that you are, which is everything. Not separate, not separate, not separate. And thank you, thank you, thank you for that question. Further? Is a, What's the difference between responsibility and blame? Responsibility is uh, is uh, responding to something as it is, rather than responding to it out of your ideas of right and wrong, judgment, good and bad, or some kind of concocted uh, ethics, or or forms, or structures, or standards. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the standards. It's the fixation on the standards. Having the standards means means you do that, and this is against the law. We lock you up. But not but having a standard, but not setting it up or fixating on it means you do something. And we look at the as big a picture as we can. We're we're responsible for everyone, everything, all the time, everywhere. Somebody commits a murder three blocks away. You're responsible for that. It's not doesn't mean it's your fault, but it's not even their fault. They're also in their own labyrinth of causes and conditions and situations. Very important to help everyone. If you have permission, they might give you permission. So the blame means you're just setting up a, a standard of I'm right, they're wrong, or I'm wrong, I'm the terrible person, or they're the terrible Not that much difference. It's both a confusion around the, the title of the talk, subject-object confusion. Actually, bringing those back. The, the interesting thing about it, if you watch it enough, eventually you'll see, you'll see there, there's kind of a it's kind of a humorous thing the way you can actually switch places with someone without it interfering with your intense walls of the mind that keep you separate from everything, and yet you're 
you can think just if you go back and forth once or twice in your mind by thinking something happened. And if you think, well, that's my fault. And then you immediately go, no, it's actually their fault. Oh, wait a minute. No, because I could have stopped that. So it's my, uh, we'll, we'll do that a few times. That especially starts to happen when you, when you've uh, decided you're going to be responsible for your life. Everything that's happening is you and it's yours and it's not a self. Yes. Uh, Karen from New Zealand has a question. Karen from New Zealand, she get asks, on a plane and come here and ask me face to face. Go ahead. She says, uh, no helper, no one, nothing to help feels the motivation has faded away. Mm -hmm. How does one then move in the world? The Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Uh, and it depends on what you're ready for, but at least that. And if you're ready to go further than that, then it's, uh, look who you're talking to. It's the Bodhisattva vow, the vow to be with all things. No longer, uh, you, you begin to look at your self-centeredness. How do you, how do you uh, deal with, uh, with generosity? How do you deal with uh, uh, being generous? You, you first look at how uh, selfish you are. And that's how you find out that there's no self. You have to look, you have to look within, you have to sit down. This is why in ancient times people would go up in the mountains and stay there by themselves. You don't need to do that. You just, you got a mountain right in front of you. It's called a wall. Sit down, hold still, shut up, receive everything that continues to move. And you can do that uh, even in New Zealand. You can do it anywhere. You never have to talk to me again or listen to me, but you may have to listen to yourself. You may have to sit down, hold still and watch the continued movement. Body and mind are not separate. Anytime you make this much of a movement, 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 that, that casual moving has to, in order to train the mind, in order to ha actually have Shila Samadhi and Prajna or discipline, meditation and wisdom, you have to start with uh, Shila, which is sometimes called morality, uh, which I would call responsibility and sometimes called uh, uh, discipline. Sit down, hold still. Whatever continues to move is the nature of confusion. And all you have to do is watch it. You don't have to become somebody else. The great thing is you actually get to be who you are. But it might start with observing how much you keep objecting to what happens in your consciousness. Any other the final question? There is one. Vasker asks, doesn't ego mess with awareness practice itself? How would we know it isn't? So the, the, the desire or the wish, not accusing you of anything, Bosker, but the wish to, uh, where that qu question comes out, how would you know, how would you know that it isn't? And I would say, rather than I'm using body language here, how would you know that it isn't? I would say it this way, you'll know. It just takes persistence. This is why we do things like have a monastery, have walls that we look at, have sutras, chant, uh, even though the, the sutras are, are empty of what we think about them. But you have to practice it long enough before that starts to show up so that you begin to understand how your thought patterns work. They work just like sutras. Only the sutra is something you can actually uh, lean on a little bit because of the words. Even if they're in uh, Japanese or Chinese or Sanskrit, it doesn't matter. There is language. Thank you very much. We'll stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our chant books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. We also accept donations online through PayPal. 
as well as snail mail, get up some traffic generosity. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. The ten directions, the three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna, Amitabha. 